structure. I'm not a really structured guy, but I like a little bit. I like to know where, where I'm traveling to. And so I'm like, what do I do? And I noticed the book, my commentary on the book of Galatians. And well, the reason why I noticed it, my John commentaries, we just finished the gospel of John. They're like this thick. Galatians is like this thick. I'm like, oh, that could be a good book. So I took it out and I thumbed through it and I'm like, maybe. And so I read it out of the Bible. I'm like, ah, you know, it's all about like, you know, law and freedom. And, and so I just said no. And so I went to Malachi again. I'm thinking, oh, we could talk about tithing in Malachi. Whoa, that's a, that's a popular subject in church. And I, I was just like, oh, no. And then I went to Jonah again. I'm like, oh, no, but Ephesians is always a good standby. You know, I mean, everybody loves Ephesians. And I'm just like, and I kept coming back to Galatians over and over again. So I said, fine. I believe the Lord wants me to do Galatians. And so that's what we're going to do. But if I'm wrong, forgive me, but it's still a book of the Bible, so you'll have to get over it. All right, so let's just get right into it. We're not going to do any history of it. We're not, oh, look at that. It's up there. We're not going to do any history of it. We're not going to do the, you know, if they think it's northern Galatia, southern Galatia, really boring stuff. So I'm going to read it and we'll jump in. Paul, an apostle, sent not with a human commission nor by human authority, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. What Paul is doing, no, go back. What Paul is doing here, Paul is setting the tone for who is writing this book. There is no, there's no um, confusion that Paul is actually writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. Because at this point in his ministry, people were questioning him. People were questioning his apostleship. And by questioning that, people were questioning whether or not that he can actually bring the gospel to people anyway. Because he didn't have the authority. And so they're just like doubting Paul altogether. And they, and they were accusing him of watering it down. Watering down the gospel just to get the Gentiles in. Making it easy for them. He, he, was, he was preaching this thing called grace. And, and some, of the, some of the Judaizers, they didn't like grace because they believed in circumcision and all these other things. But Paul had, had this different gospel and they didn't like him. So they would question him and they were hammering on him. And Paul just comes out and says, huh, uh-uh. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he puts away any of those charges very quickly. Now, we have to understand that he wasn't one of the original 12. He did not walk with Jesus on the earth. He did not physically meet him. He wasn't there at the baptism of Christ with John. And he wasn't there at his resurrection. Because that's what apostleship required. That they were with Jesus through his earthly ministry. But he doesn't care. He sees himself as an apostle with the full authority of the other twelve. He had an encounter with the risen Christ. It tells us in Acts. And the risen Christ commissioned him to go and preach the gospel. And so he kind of flips this thing around and says, for him, it was good enough to have an encounter with the risen Lord, to be commissioned by him. And Paul says, I am an apostle. Now the word apostle means one who is sent, kind of like on a journey, like on a missionary journey. And what Paul is actually is still establishing here is not only is he an apostle, is he an apostle? Not only does he have the authority to preach the gospel, but his sending is not by people. It wasn't by the boys. It wasn't by Jerusalem. Paul's sending, his mission was commissioned by 
Jesus Christ and God himself, God the Father who raised him from the dead. And Paul is traveling with the brothers, with other people who are preaching the same gospel, who are passionate about grace and passionate about seeing lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus and because of the work on the cross. He is not alone in his journey. And he's writing to the churches or the communities in Galatia. And that one little line at the bottom is very important. To the churches in Galatia. The church or churches were not seen as separate entities. Not, not little communities just kind of doing their own thing, living their own life, kind of believing what they want to believe. We, we are, or at least we started at one point of being the church. One church, one spirit, one mind in Christ, living together, working together for the good and the glory of the kingdom of God. And yes, we may have come from um, different places, but we would still consider one church. Now, let me, let me put it this way. If Paul was writing to us today, he would not say to the church called Oasis. Paul would write a letter, and that letter would say to the churches in Cheshire. All, I don't know, 10 of us, 11 of us, to the churches in Cheshire. Because he would believe, and he believed, that the church is one thing. Yes, we have local manifestations of the universal church, but we are still one body, one spirit in Christ. And I have to think, what would Paul think of the condition of the church today? I mean, what would he, what would he just, would he, would he sit down and weep? What would his letter What would his letter say to the churches in Cheshire? I think it would start off at the top. For real? And this is where you've gone? Because let me tell you, if I got this letter, the letter to to the Galatians, okay? If it came in the mailbox and I went out and I opened it up and I looked at it and I started reading it and it started telling me that I have been fooled into believing another gospel from the one that was originally preached to me, I'd be like... Must have got sent to the wrong church. That's for the church over there. I guarantee you. It's not for us. I mean, or for the other churches. It can't be for us. They must have got the address wrong. Because that's just the way we think. It's not us. It's us and them. It's, you know, we, we do it right here. They're trying to do it right. They've missed the point. They've, I don't know what they're doing over there. They fall on the ground. But that's not what Paul had in mind. That's not the way he saw the church, man. The church was one body, one spirit in Christ. Whether, whether we're missing it or whether we're getting it, we're one body, one spirit in Christ. Whether we're doing good or we're doing bad, we're one body, one spirit in Christ. Let me tell you something. If a church falls in a community, it affects the kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of God. We cannot divorce ourselves or separate ourselves from the kingdom of God. And so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters that are just meeting in other geographical locations. We are truly one body, one spirit in Christ. We might have a different expression of that spirit, and that's, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And so Paul sets his authority, establishes his authority as an apostle, as one commissioned by God to 
to go out, preach the good news. And he continues, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that he begins, this is all still part of his greeting. I love that he begins the greeting with grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a very customary greeting in the Greek writing of letters. Peace would be a very customary greeting in Hebrew. And Paul takes the two of them and combines them into this divine impartation of the glory of God, of the grace of God, of the peace of God. And I love grace. I remember I told you, I still have it stamped on my ab right here. 100% grace. And grace is the unmerited favor of God. But it doesn't stop there. That's the beauty of it, man. It doesn't stop there. Because grace is this transformative power of God that seeps into our life and changes you. Changes the way you think. Changes the way you speak. Changes your actions. It's the transforming spirit of God just bleeding into your heart and into your soul. That's God's grace. That's the grace of God. Unmerited favor because of the work of Jesus Christ and the power to transform you. And the effect of that transformation, the effect of that favor, the effect of grace is peace. We, Jesus' follower, have the peace of God, shalom, wholeness, reconciliation. We've been reunited. We're being sanctified. We're being put back together. All of our brokenness and dirtiness is being fixed and cleaned up again. We have peace with God. We have life. We have purpose. We have meaning. We have peace with God. We have the shalom of God. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ and God our Father. This is the way Paul wants to set the tone for the letter that he is going to share. And it says that, oh, I'm sorry. I have to, I have to talk about this. Um, Because we have peace with God, we now can be at peace with each other. Because we have peace with God, we now should be agents of peace and an agent of of grace. Not just to the... You know, it's very easy for us to be graceful to people who don't know Jesus. But we are the most ungraceful people to Christians that miss the point and don't agree with us. What's that all about? I have two words for you if you're falling into that category. Two words. Stop it. We can move on now. So now it says that Jesus, Jesus has saved us, rescued us from our sin. We have been rescued according to God's will. It has been God's will from the beginning, from the foundation, that Jesus was going to come on the scene and he was going to rescue not just us, but all of creation. That's his plan. It's his will. It's always been his will. The idea of God's salvation for you cannot stay just an idea for you. It cannot stay up here in your head. It cannot remain a fact that you've been taught. It cannot remain an idea that you just kind of swirl around up here. 
The idea that the, the salvation has to move from your head into your heart. Salvation has to move from your head, from, from out of the academic realm, and into your heart. Paul says here, he said, according to the will of, of our God and Father, according to the will, it's the salvation that he is offering. It's always been his will, according to, and first he says, God. And what he is stressing here about God, Elohim, the, the omnipotence of God, the transcendent glory of God, the one who put the stars into place, God, the one that created everything, God, that has power to hold back the rain for years and then just snap his fingers or snap whatever God has for fingers then make it rain again, God. All of the scary theological terms that we describe God with, that's what Paul is kind of embracing in that one word, God. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop describing him there. It says, the will of our God and what? Father. Father. The will of our God and Father. God's will is not solely based on wisdom and omnipotence, and all those other words they didn't teach me in seminary because I never went. The, the God's will is based upon the love of a father. The love of a father for his children. His desire to call children back home. To clean them off, to feed them, to care for them. God's will is, comes from a heart of a father. And it's difficult. It'd be difficult for you to hold love in some academic realm in your mind. Love transforms and moves when it moves from just an idea into your heart where you can begin to experience it. And when it seeps into your heart, when it starts to bring light to the darkness of your soul, it's then it's there that it begins to make a difference. It begins to change you from the inside out. Remember, the journey toward God is an internal journey. It's an interior journey. And it's the love of God just entering in, seeping in, breaking it down, cleaning house on the inside. You know, Jesus dying for the forgiveness of our sin. You no longer have to be in bondage. Do you understand that? You no longer have to be in the bondage of sin because Jesus has forgiven you. Do you get that? All those patterns that are in your head, all those patterns in your life, you are no longer held to those patterns, to those bondage, because Jesus has rescued you from that. The present age is an age of brokenness and sinfulness the present age is when we have made the decision to put something other than God first in our lives and make it ultimate in our life. And we put God off second. That's, that's really sin. And all of the other behaviors and thoughts and things that we do, those are just the consequence of sin. Sin is making something other than God the ultimate purpose and thing in your life. You've been rescued from that. Do you get it? 
Are you tracking with me? Are you, are, you, are you following me? See, there's this, what Paul's talking about here, there's this present age, right? In, in Jewish theology in Paul's day, there's this present age, and it's the age of brokenness. It's the age of sinfulness. It's the age of just everything's kind of a mess. And then in his theology, there's something called the age to come. And it's completely opposite of what we're living in now. There's no more brokenness in the age to come. It's a very different place. But for today, but for today, the world is definitely under the control of the enemy of God. And his name is Satan. I don't want to get all freaky on you. I don't want people to just get worried. It's not a horror movie, but this is the truth of the Bible. That we are under the influence, the world is under the influence of Satan. This is the present age. Paul lived in that time. We live in that time. It's dominated by sin and opposition to the living God. But don't worry, because it doesn't stay there. It doesn't have to stay there. It doesn't have to reside there. All right, stay with me here. I'm going to get, I don't know what I'm going to get. I got notes, but who knows? Paul didn't invent, come up with the present age of wickedness and the age to come. These are standard theological thoughts that still reign in Judaism today. And actually, it's in our Bible too. We understand it that way. Um, The age to come talks about the age of the Messiah. In Hebrew, it's the Mashiach, the, the, the anointed one. Mashiach in Hebrew has nothing to mean, has nothing, no meaning of Savior. It's, it's the anointed one. And they believe, and Paul believed before Christ got a hold of him, that this anointed one would be a human. He wouldn't be divine. He wouldn't be God. He would be human. And he would come to the earth and he would be a prominent political figure, and he would, have the, he would be from the line of David, and he would bring spiritual and political healing to the nation of Israel. He would put them back on the map. He would redeem the people of Israel. And he would establish a world government for both Jew and Gentile, Gentile being anybody who was not Jewish, the, the Messiah would establish a world government and everyone would come under it. And in the Hebrew, the age to come is called Olam Haba. Say, Olam Haba. <laughs> so you know a little Hebrew now. Good. Now, when the age to come comes, the Messianic age comes, things are going to be very different. There's going to be no more crime, there's going to be no more murder. There's going to be no more war. There's going to be no more competition and jealousy and hatred. There's going to be no more of the things that we just experience every day. Poor Steve will be out of a job. He's an officer, a police officer. We won't need him anymore, but we need you here, man. So, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a very different experience. This is the age to come. People will simply know the truth about God, the God of Torah. Nobody will have to explain it to anybody. It'll just be just, it'll be, is. It's just like that chair you're sitting in. 
the truth of who God is will be known to any, everyone. No one will have to convince anyone about God because we will just know this is the age to come. Olam haba. No more war. No more hatred. No more jealousy. No more competition. No more striving. No more just, just the things that are just waiting, weighing on humanity. But Paul is taking that theology and he's making it very, very different. He is turning it on its head. He is changing it in a huge, huge way. He is an educated man, Paul. An academic. He's a Pharisee. He's been taught this stuff his entire life. He's preached this stuff his entire life. And the Lord Jesus Christ gets a hold of him and completely turns it around on him. And then he goes and he begins to write things like this and it completely turns it around for us. Follow me now. Jesus, his purpose was sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross had, had meaning behind it. And it was, the meaning of it was to redeem. And that redemption was the will of the Father. And through faith in that sacrifice, by trusting Jesus and that sacrifice, are you following me here? This is Gospel 101. Trusting Jesus in that sacrifice rescues you out of the present age of wickedness rescues you out of the present age of wickedness, out of the brokenness, out of the hatred, out of the competition, out of the jealousy. And by doing so, ushers you into the new age. Olam haba, the age to come. You've been rescued out of the brokenness and ushered into something new and amazing. See, for the follower of Jesus, the age to come is no longer an age to come, but it's an age that is here. It's no longer yet to come. It is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Today, when you leave this, this building, the kingdom of God is all around you. You don't have to wait. You've been rescued out of the old and brought into something that's new. And we have been given the grace of God. God's unmerited favor. And we've been given the, the transformative power. Do you hear those words? Transformative power. Power, not weakness, not fear, not some stick figure Christianity. You have been given power to live in the age to come. In the midst of the brokenness of the present age. If that's not good news, man, go home. Leave your offering, but go home. <laughs> First Corinthians 7, Paul, Paul talks about how this present age, it's, it's, it's going away. It's, it's fading. And I got, he wrote that thousands of years ago, so I'm thinking, man, it's not happening very fast. And, and I'm, I get frustrated in all of that. But Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Salvation is for today. Not some time in the future, but for today. 
the, when Jesus died on the cross, it was God's work of redemption. And that work of redemption had a goal, had a purpose. It was to redeem you. It was to redeem all of creation. It was to bring back everything. It was to say to all eternity, it was to say to the physical world, it was to tell the spiritual world that no longer will evil prevail. No longer will the enemy be winning. Jesus has overcome death once and for all. And God is bringing it and he's putting it all back together again. No longer will brokenness be the norm, but someday in the future, there will be no more brokenness because God's putting it all back together. God is taking back what humanity has messed up, given over to the devil to ruin. God is taking that back. Not because he's mad at you. Not because he's mad at us. Not because he's like, fine, you ruined it. I'm just taking it back. You can't have it anymore. God is taking it back so he can put it back together and give it back to us. Give it back to us good and whole, and beautiful. And he's doing that because he loves us. The will of the Father. Yes, the will of God, the creator of all things, but the Father's heart wants to give it all back to his people. Heaven crashing into earth. The living God with his people. One day you will see God. One day you will see him. and You will live with him. And you won't need the sun anymore because the light of Christ will be shining bright enough for you. But for today, we are perfected in Christ. I'm sorry, we're perfect in Christ, but we have yet to be perfected. We've been freed from sin, delivered from sin, but we are not quite sinless. Perfection and sinlessness will come when the culmination of Christ's rule on earth comes. It will be here. But for today, we still move in this present age. But we move differently. Today is September 11, 2011. Ten years ago today, there was events that took place in the United States that literally changed the world. And those events were evil and, and motivated by hatred. What if there was an event for the Jesus followers that would change the world the way that September 11th did? Because here's the thing. You no longer walk in a path that is controlled by evil. You no longer walk in darkness. You walk in the light of God's redemptive plan in Jesus Christ. And you can, I'm asking you, you must you must make the choice to journey in the newness of life that he is offering you. You can journey as one that is living in the age to come. You can journey in the kingdom of God and usher in the kingdom of God. And maybe you're asking, well, how do I do that? I mean, how do I, what, is, what does that look like? Man, it's, it's, it's really simple when I thought about it this week. When you feed somebody that's hungry in the name of Jesus, you give a cup of water to somebody in the name of Jesus, you usher in the kingdom of God. When you give somebody clothes who, who, who don't have clothes, 
when you invite a stranger in and just love on them, and you, you usher in the age to come and you're walking in it and you're living in it. When you fight for justice, when you fight for the rights of the poor, when you come alongside the orphan and the widow, you are bringing in olam haba, the age to come. When, you, when you're patient, when you love, when your life is marked by joy and gentleness for the only reason, for no other reason other than the love of God has seeped from your head into your heart. You usher in the kingdom. You are moving in Olam Haba in the present age. When you show your family when you show your family that you love them. Parents loving kids, kids loving parents, wives loving husbands, husbands loving wives, aunts and uncles, grandparents. When you love your family. Parents, when you got to make those tough decisions for your kids and it's motivated out of their best interest in love, but you do it anyway. You usher in Olam Hawa. When you love your neighbor as yourself. You know, every day, every single day, you are given the opportunity to live in the transition of God's redemptive work. Every day, every day, you have an opportunity to speak into someone's life. Every day, you have an opportunity to love and to care and usher in the kingdom that is coming, that is here is yet to be fully realized, but it's here. And we live that way not to earn a single thing. We live that way not to get on God's good side. We live that way not so we can, we can get God's blessing or get God's goodness or get the grace of God. We live that way because you, follower of Christ, have already been given everything. Father, I want to thank you for your will to redeem your people, to redeem the world, to put it all back together again, to make everything whole. And Father, we recognize the work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, we know that we walk in this, this age, but Lord, we're, we're going to bring in the age to come. We're going to bring in the kingdom of God and we're going to live for the kingdom of God. And we're just going to do little things, Lord. And when we're, when we're responsible in those little things, when we look for those little things, God, I just know that you're going to give us bigger responsibilities and you're just going to grow our influence and grow our, our work beyond what we can even see that there will be people that are living and loving and making a difference and they don't even know it. Lord, don't let us just sit and get comfortable, but let grace motivate us. Let the blessings that you've showered upon us motivate us. Let us walk and live in the age to come. Amen. I love you guys.